Hi there. We'd like to welcome you to the virtual kitchen table. We are Erin from Everlearning, Haley from Taking a Kinder Path, and myself, Ashley from Ashley as Mama and Storytime Shelves. We're gathering to have conversations about family life and home education, most specifically unschooling, which is sometimes known as self-directed education, or as I often refer to it, consent-based learning. We'll be sharing experiences and ideas, learning as we go. We hope you'll pull a chair up to the table and join us. Hi, Ashley. Hi, Haley. Hello. Hello. How are things? Good. Yeah, yeah. Thank very you. Good. Thank you. Good. good. Easing into summer. Yes. Well, it's raining, but... Um... Oh, is it <laughs> yeah. But it, yeah, in between the rain, it's been quite warm today. So that's nice. Oh, mm. Right. That's, oh, that, yeah, it was actually, it was super overcast here this morning. And now it's, it's really bright. So yeah. Um, okay. So I guess we are chatting about um, the idea of having more educational choice today. So I think we were thinking specifically the idea of living and learning in community. So you know, how can communities um, and maybe just society at large be set up in a way that, um, yeah, just encourages, uh, you know, living and learning opportunities and maybe, I guess maybe, ha- maybe has education as more a natural part of it. Like right now, we think so much of um well, we don't, but society at large, I think, thinks of education equals school. And so what would that look like if, if community itself just kind of really became more of a hub of, of learning and uh, some of those educational opportunities? Um, and I can remember, actually, when our local library, they got what's called a a makerspace. I think, I think different communities and maybe different countries have them and maybe they're under a different name, but uh, here they're called makerspaces. And the librarian was so excited because it was this room that had um, so many different opportunities. So it was fairly child-centered, but I would say that there was something there for lots of different ages. So they had in the corner, they had, um, oh my goodness, like Lego and connects and wooden blocks like all kinds of different materials that you could build with and they had a section with a lot of crafting materials and then they had a lot of technology so they had um you know big iMacs for for kids to use together or maybe some kids you know don't have access to a computer so it was really neat to have those there Uh, I think they had a green screen um there were all kinds of different things in there and I remember talking to the librarian at the time And she was just really, like, she was really excited. And she said, you know, I want to encourage more of this. She said, I would really like to see the library um, as a kind of community hub where, you know, different people can come in and use the resources. And, um, yeah, people, kids can come in and, and, you know, play together and socialize and, and use all these different sorts of resources. So, yeah, she was just really I guess, promoting the idea that the library is beyond books, which was the traditional um, way of, of thinking of it. Uh, and then even within, I mean, even as far as books goes, she was really trying to create some neat book clubs and family book clubs. And, um, 
yeah, just really expands the idea that a library is a very quiet place that you go in and you sign a book and you, you take it out. And yeah, I was just always really interested in hearing her enthusiasm around that. Um, and it kind of, kind of got me thinking about, you know, what if community at, at large was more like that uh, as far as everything from sports centers to, um, you know, maybe more playgrounds, more uh, green space to use. So yeah, it was just, it was just kind of an interesting thought about, you know, how do we kind of, um, you know, how do we expand that or how do we keep thinking about that? Because I think with the, um, I don't know if explosion is the right word, but I do think homeschooling has increased. It was already increasing. And then the pandemic pushed that along a little bit further. And so with more kids out and about, um, either in the home or in the community during the day, does that start to expand the way that we look at learning just culturally, right? So those were kind of some thoughts that were were coming to my mind. And Ashley, I know you and I had talked a little bit about libraries in particular, but I think, yeah, I think a library is one piece of it. And, and there's so many parts of the community that would be interesting just to see what could happen if we changed our view of, of education. Yeah, I really like this topic and the idea of it. And I think, I mean, change takes time, um, but I hope we're moving in that direction with more and more um, families uh, home educating in one way or another, but really kids not being in school. Um, I still get it. So even though it's increased around here, um, someone asked just yesterday, we took the boys out and we were out for a walk in the middle of the day. And I kind of forget about it now because we're so used to it, but they were like, oh, no school today or, or school's already done because today's the last day of school here. <clears throat> and I'm, I kind of actually t- caught me off guard for some reason. I don't know why. And I, I just, I, I said, oh, that we homeschool <laughs> and, and kind of a responsive, oh, and that was it. So I wasn't sure what to make of it, but it's still really, um, it's not the norm here. So when we see kids out of school, wherever, um, anywhere, it, the adults, like it's, it's pretty common for us to get asked, like, no school today. They're just, they, I don't even know if homeschool crosses their mind or maybe it does and they're just curious. But in that, we don't get my, into much of a conversation most of the time. It's just kind of in passing. So I think it's almost like once the homeschool community grows and there's more of a need of how, what can we offer um, children and families during the weekday? I think that's when we'll start to see more people because I know we're looking around and like, thankfully we have, especially now like the library's back open so we can go in there, but the programs and things like that are offered or not during um, the weekday, unless it's after school hours. So it's, it's still so much structured around um, the school day or the school year. Um, And that doesn't even change that much actually in the summer, I find Um, places if they do offer something during the day um, for kids in the summer, it's in the form of a summer camp. So you have to be signed up. I'm trying to think off the top of my head, if there's any examples where something's offered during the day where you don't have to be registered um, and planned ahead to go to, um, obviously you can just go to the library, but it's not, um, something structured, uh, but that's okay too. Anyway, I'm rambling. I have lots of ideas about this idea. I think the library is a great example. I did want to mention that Dr. Peter Gray is someone who's talked quite a bit about this. Um, haven't listened or read about any of his stuff on that 
very recently. But if anyone's more interested in that, he's a good person who's, I think, put quite a bit of thought into libraries specifically being a great place because they already exist. They're already there um, and they are offering a lot more than what I think a lot of people realize. So it, it's um, at least it's something. Um, but you can come back to me because I have um, our library has a makerspace too. Um, so I can continue, but I want to hear Haley's thoughts on this well and, and what she f thinks about it, where you are, Haley. Yeah, I think it's a fantastic idea. And I think libraries are like the perfect example of that, aren't they? The perfect example of a place with yeah, so many resource, potential resources and people, it's voluntary. You don't have to go, but you can go and then you can soak up whatever they have. And I think it, we're really lucky around here because we do actually have some things that are put on during the day we have like a lego club that that was because a homeschooling family went into the library and our librarians are amazing and they went in and uh, well I think they saw that there was a lego club after school and said oh I think there'd be quite a few families that would like that during the school day so that that was set up and that and that's great and another of our local libraries has actually got um a space with sofas and they've got a, a Wii and <laughs> hot chocolate machines and yeah lovely it was kind of an idea to get more teenagers coming in I, I don't know whether they've got more teenagers coming in or not but I know that you know us and a few other families have really appreciated it in the past but the really strange thing I think is about how libraries are just getting the opening hours just seem crazy to me. I mean, we're lucky because we can go to the library in the daytime. But so many families, I think um, I think you mentioned this before, Erin, once about how lots of people, it's surprising how many people don't have a library card, don't go to their local library. And I think one of the issues around here definitely is that the library's open for like two hours at the weekend or something. Mm. Kind of like, I think it's 10 till 12 on a Saturday morning. And I mean, that's just <laughs> that's such a shame, isn't it? And, um, you know, that there could be so many things that they could put on at the weekends that would really entice more people to visit. Um, it just seems and, and they close at five o'clock. So, you know, if you're working and your child's at an after school club, you know, the chances of you being able to get there is, is kind of. You know, it, they're not making it easy, basically, are they? That's, you know, and I guess that's all to do with funding. I know the librarians would love to have the place open for, for longer. Um, but I guess that's, that's you know, um, yeah, that's a funding issue, I guess, isn't it? But when when um, I think um, thinking about um, I can't remember the 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 um, the initial question that you raised, Erin, but thinking about what what would it look like if if you know, we had more community resources like libraries and more of a focus on, um, yeah, education in the community. One of the first things that came to my mind was that we might have more plumbers, we might have more electricians. And I guess that's a really strange thing to think, <laughs> partly because we had a, a, a person who didn't turn up today to fix something in the house. And I was thinking, oh, my goodness, what if we have to go and find somebody else? You know, what if they, they never turn up? <laughs> And it was kind of like, oh, no, finding people that know how to fix technical things can be difficult, can't it? And I was thinking about how um, I think that led me all off on the thing of um, exam subjects for home ed kids and how difficult it can be to access certain subjects. You know, if you if you're an artist, you know, finding an exam centre that will 
let you take an art GCSE in, in the UK is quite difficult because the exam, there's like a 12 hour exam for art. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I know there are other ways of, of, you know, you create a portfolio, you can do arts awards. There are other ways of doing it, but also, you know, for science, practical science things, you know, it would be fantastic if there was a, you know, a science lab that the kids could, could just access when they wanted to the whole you know having some kind of community hub with a cafe and mm-hmm. you know and a science lab and yeah and a, and uh, you know maybe attached to the library I mean that you know that's just an awesome idea isn't it, it would be amazing oh. yeah so that's interesting Haley, because um so our libraries in the in the community that I'm in we have four so we have four libraries um, that belong to the same branch, but then we do have several other communities or libraries that are quite close to us. So we end up with all these library cards, right? It's a bit, it's a bit much really. Um, But our library hours are quite extensive. I think, I don't know, Ashley, if yours are, I'm not sure if it's because maybe we're, um, we're in a fairly populated community. I'm not not too sure, but um, yeah, we have we have a pretty extensive range of of library hours, which surprised me then when I was having this conversation with a librarian and she told me I think she had percentages somehow of the number of families in the in the city that had cards or, you know, some kind of number. And she just said it's really amazing how small a, a portion of people have have cards and how many people do come in and access the library and they're kind of like oh my gosh has this has this been going on like these story times and these family book clubs and you know the computers and the games because there's similar to what you're talking about Haley there's an area with you know couches and games and um yeah so she was just really interested in how people just didn't even really well maybe they either didn't know about it or it didn't cross their mind and I think part of that too is you know if your child is in school all day and then um there are so many like life is so busy right there are so many activities and so many uh just so many things that I think maybe in the back of their mind people might know it's there but it's kind of an afterthought Mm -hmm. um And it wasn't really until we kind of started getting the, like the monthly schedule and looking at it. And it was, yeah, it was really extensive what they were offering. So it's kind of, I don't know, you see the staff putting a lot of effort into things and definitely, definitely there are things like the summer book club because kids are out of school. I mean, that would be packed. So that would be very full, but as you're saying, or maybe it was you, Ashley, during the day, it's kind of like this radio silence. Mm-hmm. Um, although our library too got really good at doing um, sort of afternoons for homeschool families. Mm-hmm. So that was, yeah, that was really, really nice to have that concentrated time to do that. And I found actually, if I look at what homeschooling was like, um, my first few years. So we started 2003, maybe 2002, 2003. Um, it was, and I kind of miss it. I think because it wasn't quite as common, we, we did still have lots of families, but it felt a little bit more underground. So there were still a lot of people, 
but we very much did our own thing, right? So we would meet somewhere and create our own, like a true co-op, I guess, right? We would create our own things. And then I started noticing um, several years in that there was a shift. So the more people that started homeschooling, uh, so it used to be a group of homeschool parents would contact the local pool or they'd contact the library and see if, you know, maybe they would offer lessons during the day or something during the day at the library. And places started to click in that this was actually a, a market, so to speak, um, even in the private sector. So you would have, uh, you know, art teachers advertising for lessons. Um, there were quite a few things like that. So, so you could see as the population grew, it, so did the opportunities. And some of that was families asking in the way that you described, Haley. And some of it, I think, was people starting to go, oh, there's like, there could be a whole market here at two mm-hmm. o'clock in the afternoon <laughs> that we could, that we could be taking advantage of. Um, so that landscape really changed. And there are pieces of it that I miss. Like I, I think it went from being um, a very, com- just sort of uh, now I'm community oriented in a t- tighter way. So a very supportive, collaborative thing to being more of a contracting out to lessons and classes and I guess there's pros and cons to everything like ultimately I would like to see it continue that way because I think um I think it's nice to just have different things both private and public being offered but the downside is I do feel that we lost a little bit of that well if we want something we have to figure it out ourselves um yeah so there was just yeah there was just a little bit of a shift in work in working together and making it happen and pooling our money together but ultimately I think I think having it more broadly available is also important for families who um either they or their kids might not fit into a group because I do think there can be a problem with that in in homeschooling and unschooling um you know groups are fine but um they're only fine if everybody's getting along and the other people accept you. And there's something really nice about having the local YMCA just offer gym classes because there's no, nobody can get pushed out of that. <laughs> you know, it, there's something that's really nice about that too. Yeah. So that's, yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's the, the thing, isn't it? It's about having more things so that the more things there are, then the more people with different needs or different interests or different skills the, yeah the more things there are the more people can get involved can't they and they can move on because I mean that thing about um you know when you get involved with things like um brownies or you or the or your kids football club or you know there's often people say it's really hard to move on you, you know kind of people who are volunteering are quite thin on the ground and so you can get, you know, and I think some people are so busy, aren't they? You, t- you know, totally understandable. But then there's also the difficulties of, yeah, if you do get involved, then you get stuck there <laughs> and you're trying to find somebody to replace you um, <laughs> when when you're ready to move on. And it's and yeah, and it's so hard, isn't it? Because we are leading such busy lives um, and it just I was thinking when you were talking about the the difference in in um I'm kind of switching gears here but something you said Erin about um the culture way back when you started um homeschooling the idea that that was um 
thought I've lost my train of thought now. Sorry. <laughs> no, <laughs> I can't remember where I was going with that now. Maybe it'll pop back later. <laughs> I had two things going on at the same time. And because of that, I lost both. I lost. I was trying to switch and then I lost both of them. Sorry. Mm. I can, when you were talking to Haley, <laughs> what I was saying. So maybe I can go back to that and maybe it'll, maybe it'll pop back up for you. And if not, it's okay mm. too. Mm. Um, that that thought about mm. way back when um yeah and kind of that pro of people working together and getting things going so those would have been um the initial people who who went in and spoke to the rec center about getting swimming lessons going or art lessons or um the library program and something that i i did find is that once community things were um once those were in place, so I think two things happened. There were some pioneering people who got those in place and they kind of, you know, changed and shifted over time, but they did continue usually. Um, so there was that. And then there were the, the places starting to offer things on their own accord because they knew there was a population that they could serve. What I noticed, and gosh, I hope I don't sound critical. I'm just literally kind of analyzing this and kind of thinking this, this through. What I noticed um, with the families that would have started like a decade after us, for example, when things, when there were new shifts that needed to happen, or maybe um, kind of like what you're saying, Haley, when somebody was ready to step aside, right? So maybe that, that initial parent didn't want to keep um, organizing the midweek swimming lessons with the gym or didn't, you know, for myself, I was very involved with the library as far as helping with the homeschool programs. And then, you know, I got to a point where we didn't need that anymore. And as you're saying, it's very hard to, to move, to move ahead. And what I noticed, and I think a few other people that, that started at the same time that, that I did, those next people weren't necessarily accustomed to doing that groundwork. So I think that was a little bit of the downside too for us to step aside is quite a few families had started during an era where that was already in place. And it was kind of like, well, hold on, we're losing this. And it was that conversation about, well, you don't, you don't need to lose it, but somebody does need to step up and continue to kind of be that liaison with the librarian or the gym or, um, you know, whatever the particular, the chess club, you know, whatever the particular activity was. Um, so I think that's still a big part of it. Like, yes, it's great that um, both public and private places are, are seeing that there's a, a demand for a lot of these things. But I think things are always driven best by the people that have the need. So it's great to have people inviting, you know, homeschool families in. Um, but it's also really great and important, I think, for parents to continue to, um, you know, be involved in that, that communication or organization with, with people. Because not all places are just going to think of it themselves or they might think of it. Um, you know, something that was happening at the library, for example, is they were offering a lot, but they were offering it in a fairly schoolish way at times. And so it took that conversation um, of some different ways of looking at it and things that might be a little bit more um, helpful and attractive to families. So, yeah, I think that's a really good point, Erin. What you just said there is kind of what I was thinking, but I couldn't 
form my full thought around that and, and attempt to put it into words. But that's so true because I think like speaking for myself and I think some other homeschool friends that we have, that's just it. It's um, places like even the library I've noticed, although they're pretty good at it, but they offer programs that kind of look like school for lack of a better way of putting it, which isn't, sometimes it works and sometimes it's fine. But a lot of times I don't, we, we homeschool for a reason. And I think a lot of that comes into play. So being able to even just recognize, oh, so someone has to speak up and explain this, like, because they just don't know, they're not coming from that frame of mind. So sometimes it's just sharing through even casual conversations, I think, which you kind of do have to put yourself out there, or someone has to be willing to maybe not commit to taking on a full volunteer role or something. um, But just to be, um, yeah, the person who communicates what the actual needs are, and what this group of people might be looking for, because I think it is quite different. And so for people like us, who we've only been homeschooling for the past couple of years, we're still figuring all of that out so much. And I think because of the pandemic there, I found there wasn't a lot of overlap in person between someone more new to homeschool and someone who has that experience to just learn from them through conversation. Um, I do see a little bit of it in the homeschool Facebook groups. Um, people say, oh, so-and-so used to organize that. And I I can, I read that and I think, oh, I wish I could have been around that person to just learn from how they figured out how to tap into those resources that we're just kind of looking for. And we're hoping that they just kind of pop up and they do a bit, not in our region so much, I wouldn't say, but the next one over, so about an hour away. I don't know if there's more, more homeschool families there. I sense that there is because I see things like, hockey this past winter there was hockey during the weekday um and i'm pretty sure that was a group of homeschool parents who just asked for it um and uh swimming was another one there was some swimming again about an hour away from us so um again hopefully and then there are some other things i've noticed here where we are but it's definitely more um parents just getting together um and you know maybe it's uh park meetups or um, like I used to be involved with um, a group of parents who's only every other week, but you can meet together in different places to go for hikes. Um, so there is a little bit of it. But yeah, I think there's um, there's a little bit of skill involved and a little bit of uh, know-how when it comes to realizing that there are things available or could be available, but you have to kind of make that connection. And maybe now with things even just getting back to running a little bit more normal um, we'll see that that start to happen I think my my mind is going all over the place oh, that, there were a few things you mentioned the pandemic and that reminded me Ashley about the thing I was going to say I think to do with um, yeah people asking you if, if you know school today what you know um, why are you out and about and it's the same for us yeah there aren't many there aren't many home educated home educating families around so it is still very much um, a question of um, yeah people uh, yeah uh, are not expecting it yeah they they assume that there must be an inset day or or something Mm -hmm. like that or it's the holidays and they hadn't realized Mm -hmm. Um, and I think um, that the whole image of homeschooling there was some really sad things that came out of the pandemic (laughs) I mean obviously lots of sad things but I mean in relation to to homeschooling that kind of a lot of people thought 
because of the the way that um yeah lots of school children were then at home sitting behind their computers weren't they for long hours having to um yeah deal with zoom lessons that went on for a long time the kind of um the image of yeah of home educating for some people definitely went a bit downhill um in terms of there was more of a negative vibe about it oh uh, oh that was dreadful yeah when we did that it was just terrible (laughs) and you can understand that because obviously that was really you know really hard and so hard on those kids yeah having to sit in in one place and and um yeah be in front of a screen all, all the time um so I don't know that 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 was something that sparked off um and now I've lost it again well, I'm laughing a little bit, Haley, as you said that, though, because it's funny. I have people now because it's like we're the family who's still continuing to home educate after the pandemic when we could have sent kids back to school. And they're like, oh, good for you. And I I always take it as like because being at home with little kids is can be tiring and that I always take it that way but I think a lot of times they are envisioning our days looking like school at home and they're like well good for you I don't know why you would make that choice so it's it is kind of funny following the pandemic Mm -hmm. I think this whole idea of of widening um the educational options out to people when I was saying about um yeah there might be more um you know people who knew about electrics there might be more more plumbers that kind of qualified people and and the whole um access to exams I was thinking not not just about home home ed kids I was thinking about how the culture in some countries is so different definitely from the UK anyway I, I think I remember reading a book a few years ago about one of the Scandinavian countries I think it it might have been Denmark I think where there's much more a culture of people changing jobs every few years and people go back and do multiple degrees and multiple different training courses to get different professions in their life rather than I feel like it's still more in the UK the idea that you you know you go into a profession and you just continue in that profession obviously there's more job switching perhaps um, out of necessity because people you know terrible things happen but um, I was thinking that that the whole one of the things we know so well about how when you're interested in something when you care about it the ability you know your capacity to learn about it and to retain information and your enthusiasm that drives you on to learn more and develop your skills um yeah if if we had if people had the capacity to change careers and to follow their interests and then for those interests to um yeah to develop into a career of of some kind and and that they didn't have to stay there forever (laughs) you know how how much more positive I guess lots of people would feel about about the work that they're doing um and and you know because you know people do develop a a love of things you know much later in life don't they and there's so many people say oh I hated maths when I was at school and then for some reason or another something happens and they're like oh wow I'd really like to to know more about this and so the whole if we had more of a um, acceptance of people yeah going to do exams if they wanted to when they were older or or switching a couple things came to mind, but from things you each said. So, Ashley, just in talking about the schoolishness of, um, you know, and I, I don't say that in a in a 
mean way, but just with, mm-hmm. with the idea that, for example, the librarian might not um, have a sense of what people are are wanting, what families are wanting. And, you know, just to think of it from her perspective. So she's assuming that she's presenting or, or offering an opportunity for homeschool families during the day. And I think it goes back a lot to what we're talking about, our idea of education equals school. So, you know, it might be that she thinks, oh, I'll offer um, the homeschool families an idea or sorry, an opportunity to do, you know, a science unit over the next four or five weeks or whatever. And I think that what was happening for us is that whether you're a, an unschooling kind of self-directed family or whether you're a more structured homeschool family, neither of those groups may be looking for a science program because, you know, if you've had a, a fairly um, focused day of curriculum already, you have your own goals with your children around that and you know how that's going to work for your children. Um And then unschooling families, they might each be working in their own area, learning in their own area. So, yeah, it just took some thinking through. And I also think some um, some patience and just some grace that uh, because we had the same thing happen. It was the same thing with with sports classes or any of those Mm -hmm. kinds of things. They're trying to offer uh, a program and they're also not as used to offering age wide age ranges, right? Programming to wide age to wider age ranges. So it's just kind of having that grace of, um, yeah, of working, working with the people who are in those centers to kind of think about what, what might work. And it might take a while <laughs> to tweak things and they might, they might change. And, um, and the other piece that Haley was talking about around, uh, I believe it was Denmark and just the idea of people not being so fixed in one particular profession and Haley, I think that's very similar to how I find it here in Canada, that that there's still this idea that you, you know, you do elementary school, you do secondary school, and then you apply for what we call here post-secondary. Um, and then that, of course, is setting the pace for your lifelong career, <laughs> which is, I think, what we, you end up with a lot of, a lot of people, um, young people switching programs. And like, I think it's a lot of panic, right? You start, oh, wait, this isn't what I thought. Or you might do a degree in something, realize that you're not really that employable. So you need to do a practical college on top of it. Like there's a lot of that that happens here. Um, And so I feel like similar to what you're describing in the UK, that's the, that's the mindset, but that's actually not what ends up happening for very many people. So it's interesting how it's interesting how our mindset has not caught up with what's actually happening because huge numbers of people change programs even at that age and then into their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s are trying new things and switching directions. Um, so we actually do switch around a lot. But somehow we're still there's still this expectation that we that we won't. And so that kind of makes me curious too about when we're thinking about this idea of, of learning and community and just kind of having this culture of learning, you know, how that, how we even think about that from an age perspective, it's not just for kids, right? Like, you know, it's not just about homeschool programming or, or homeschool events. It's, it's kind of just this whole culture of learning in society. 
and just a bigger openness to that. And I think we see it. I do see there are lots of interest groups. There's lots of continuing ed courses, um, lots of clubs. It's not that it's not there. Um, I just think we haven't, we still haven't changed our mindset societally that of what's actually happening versus what we think needs to happen. Yeah, yeah that's it. That's interesting what you say, because I think on a personal level, yeah, when you meet somebody and they tell you that they're they're embarking on uh, perhaps a new venture or a new career or a new training course, it's, it's always, um, you know, you, can, you have really positive conversations. It's like, oh, wow, that's so exciting. Tell me more about it. And it's it's, you know, individually, we're all really supportive of that, aren't we? We're all you know, we're, we're delighted when we discover that somebody's following their interests and and. And I think for probably there's there's often a, a, a sense of, wow, if they can do that, then I can do that. That's really cool. Um, and I think we do delight in that for for people around us, don't we? And, and, and you know, it, so it's strange. Yeah, it's kind of a societal thing rather than an, on an individual basis, isn't it? But I guess the structures are still set up like that, aren't they? They're still, I think, in terms of student finance, you know, it's kind of you, you can't just go around taking multiple degrees and expect to get the same access to loans as, you know, this get your act together kind of thing. And you can't just drop out halfway through the year and then expect to get another year. What's you know, what do you think you're doing? It's kind of yeah, it, it, it is on more of a structural level, isn't it? That like you say, Erin, it doesn't reflect how it's actually happening for for people in their everyday lives which is such a shame isn't it and I guess that's that there is a lot of grassroots um, people individuals doing amazing things and I think you said about Peter Gray um, Ashley and I know his work is fantastic and I think he's been involved with the Alliance for Self-Directed Education and they've got lots of stuff haven't they about um, things that um initiatives that people have started and programs and there are some amazing things that are happening in terms of widening out this um this idea of education and it's funny that that thing about the word school is can be kind of negative but then on the other hand you know I quite like to go to an art school that sounds really cool or a riding school (laughs) Um, which reminds me of my daughter's at a forest school and they had a conversation with the children recently. Um, they were talking about the fact that they were trying to attract more children. They, they wanted to put on more sessions for forest school. And they asked the children in my daughter's group, you know, what, what, what do you think about the fact that it's called forest school? Do you think that's putting some people off? <laughs> and, um, and they were having this discussion about how, well, it, it's not really like school, is it? It's really cool here. We really like it. And, and one of the kids said, oh, maybe we could call it forest, do whatever you want. <laughs> and, then, and then people would think it was great. You yeah. Know? <laughs> it's kind of, you know, it's that terminology. And, and I think, um, yeah, education. I mean, education is is really your education is literally everything that you learn that contributes to you living in society, isn't it? It's such a broad term, but as I think you said right at the beginning, Erin, it's, it's somehow been channeled into this really, um, yeah, really narrow kind of idea of school and qualifications and that rather than all the wonderful things that we're 
all learning all the time. You know, it makes me think a lot about um, people being free to um, and trusting people in that and trusting that they know what they want to do and trusting that they will do what they need to do. And we really are not as a society in a place where we trust children to just go about their days. And I, I think about it in the big picture, like childhoods like that, adolescence is like that. So they're caught up in school and this is what you need to do. And then you move into the workplace and then you work for X amount of years with the idea that you will retire. And then when you retire, so it's funny, Erin, when you, when I was reading through, um, some of your discussion points for today, I started thinking about this group of people in our um, communities of retirement age. And I think, well, there's an example of people who are trusted to go about their days doing what they're going to do and free to do that. And they're the ones in the community centers. They're the ones in the libraries. They're the ones signing up for the local photography class or art class. And I thought, well, that's really sad. I mean, that's great for them, but really sad to think it's not until you're however old that, that may be and you've done you're done you've done your schooling you've done your career and now if you are well enough at this stage in life you are finally free and i think so many people must must you know of that age have this like self discovery and oh if i had started doing this when i was younger but i didn't have the time and so it was interesting because I don't think I had thought about that before. But um, I think the question you had asked maybe in the, the email you sent, Erin, was around like examples of where we see this out in the community where people are just in community learning. And I thought of that group of people. I thought, well, that's so interesting. Um, so I think a lot of what has to change is how we view children and childhood. And thankfully, we do see a lot of um, people discussing that but I think a lot of times that's what it comes down to is this belief that well what are we going to do with the kids well we need to put them in a safe place and we need to keep them together and they they need we need to make sure they're learning and all this fear of um, what would happen if we just kind of loosened our grip a little bit to see what they got into and what they would explore so I think so much has to change before we really start um to, to let people be more free earlier on in the, in the life stage. Um, but I wanted to mention before we get too far away about it, uh, was the forest school comment, because I've even um, been thinking about the terminology a little bit more. And I don't, I prefer to say, say like home educating families or that we home educate, but homeschool just comes out so much easier, but I don't like it because I think it, it paints that picture of school. Um, which which isn't what we do. Um, and then what you said about the forest school was really interesting too, because what I noticed when I was calling around to, we do have some forest school programs in our area, which is, um, it's so great, mind you, it's only for younger kids. I don't think the demand is there for older kids. Lots of times, um, if they homeschool or home educate around here, um, once they get into like, even old, like later on elementary years, they're back in school, definitely high school back in school. So the, maybe the demand's not there as much. I'm not sure. Um, but when I called around, I want to say I only talked to the one that my guys went to that wasn't schooly. So there were a couple of the four school programs that were here. And 
that's not what we were looking for. I was looking for my kids to go and play with other kids and be outside and have, you know, fun opportunities presented to them and have them invited to do different activities, but with a lot of freedom still. And a lot of it was, I was surprised actually. One was very much like we follow the Ontario curriculum. Um, and I asked specific questions about, well, what if, you know, my child doesn't want to do the journaling, for example, because that's one thing that I know he would not want to be forced to do. And yeah, the answer kind of was really, I was really put off by it because it was, um, you know, they, they weren't going to force him to do it, but they were going to strongly encourage him to do it. And it was just interesting because I'm like, this sounds a lot like school. So then I asked, you know, then I'm thinking, who, who's their, um, like, who's their market? Um, is it, is it parents who are for some reason done with mainstream traditional school looking for something else really want their kids to be outside more maybe smaller groups of kids together but still feel a lot of value and importance on the standard curriculum that's the feel I got which and that's fine too if that's what you're looking for but I think a lot of home educating families that's not quite what they're looking for so yeah it was just interesting Haley how when you mentioned that that the term forest school I have no problem with the name but I thought it's too much like school for us. It's not quite what we're looking for. <laughs> well, I have to admit that I did have a bit, a bit of a, not, not a problem, but I hadn't considered um, accessing a forest school until a friend of my daughter said, I'm going to this forest school and it's really cool. And then she obviously told us about it and it sounded really lovely. And um, so it's the only one that we have any experience of. But they are so lovely. Yeah. And it is very, as one of the children said, you know, you should call it forest, do whatever you want. (laughs) Because because they literally, um, you know, they speak to the children about, you know, what would you like to do? And they're very, very much, it is about invitations. Hey, we bought this cool stuff. Do you want to do it? Okay, no. Well, then there's little spaces where they can go off and do different things at their own choice. And in fact, um, we were at a session this week and... um, it was really interesting because they said, um, I just heard one of the forest school facilitators saying, they're always one step ahead of us. <laughs> and so I kind of went to see what they were talking about. And they, they, they'd had this idea that they were going to invite the kids to make maps. And one of the children had bought a map with him. And then my daughter has been really into maps recently. A neighbour gave us a really big atlas um, which is so heavy, <laughs> um, but it but it's beautiful. It's lovely. It's got all kinds of different maps in it. And so we've been talking a lot about, you know, map projections and the keys on maps and all sorts of things anyway. So she, she was really, and, and the, the, um, the organizer of the group was saying that this happens so many times. We think we've had a great idea. And then those children are just, way ahead of us and I'm sure there's an element of you know in previous sessions they're all sparking off each other aren't they there's you know conversation is is their big thing they're always chatting about different things and they're quite happy to just sit on logs Mm -hmm. and talk for as long as the children want to talk about whatever they want to talk about and yet they've got all these fantastic resources tools that they can use and you know, they talk to them about safety and and obviously they talk to them about nature and, um, <laughs> you know, it is just kind of the idyllic what what you were probably hoping for mm-hmm. in, in forest school. And we're, you know, really lucky that we found it. And it's such a shame that my prejudice might have, my daughter might have missed out on that because I, it wasn't on my radar to, to research it at all because my only experience of forest school was, 
um, a few years ago, I did a playwork qualification. And I remember writing essays about the forest school movement. And it was really about outdoor classrooms, mm-hmm. really. It was about trying to get children in school, you know, to have a lesson sitting on logs in the in the playground, really. I mean, it, it, it was more, you know, there were, there were good intentions behind it, but that is quite often how it, it was actually playing out in practice. Whereas I think that the, 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 the philosophy, sorry, of, of the forest school that my daughter attends is, is very much about, yeah, introducing them to nature and, and helping them to love it, but also just about helping them to pursue whatever projects they, you know, they want to do. So, so it was just really funny how, how that whole thing of, the group as a whole they're all learning from each other all the time the the facilitators and the children and they're and and it was just a really nice thing to think about about how they are obviously sparking off each other and sometimes coming to the same place and that's really you know really interesting <clears throat> yeah. yeah oh my gosh the spring there's so many things now coming to my mind <laughs> I know we were thinking about making this a shorter one <laughs> and I don't know um so just that last piece, uh, Haley, around, you know, the, the leaders are thinking of things and the kids are thinking of things. That reminds me of uh, a Living Joyfully podcast episode um, that Pam Larekia did. I don't know. It wasn't too many months ago. And it was about, uh, I think it was a creative writing group. don't know if anybody heard that one, but um, I, I think it was teens in a creative writing group. And it was just really interesting to listen to because you could hear that the leader was, um, yeah, like they were all writers. So she was organizing it, but she was, it, it was just really this, um, it's kind of like where self-directed meets collaborative, you know, those are my words, not anything that was necessarily said in the interview, but um, that's, that one was worth a listen because I think it talks about a lot of the, sort of the way that you're describing this Haley and maybe what you were looking for Ashley is it's this kind of discovery together and of course you have you know an older person who's maybe more experienced and can can set the framework but when that trust is there to go back to what you were talking about Ashley when that trust is there that um yeah, that children and youth can be trusted to learn and, and grow and question and all those things. It's just this really nice collaboration that can, that can happen. Um, and then Haley, the other thing I was thinking around the word, the word school, um, which has some interesting origins anyway, and I'm not going to try to remember, but I've always been interested in kind of reading about it. Um, and the idea that, yeah, when we go to take a class or a school, it, it, it can sound quite, um, almost at this age, a little bit decadent. It's like, oh, you know, because we've been removed from it for some period of time. And so much of that is just about choice, right? Mm-hmm. So it goes back to that idea of, of choice and um, thinking about, so if we had this culture that was more open, and again, I think the opportunities are there. I think it's more people that we hold ourselves back from really taking advantage of all that, that community and culture have to offer. But um, it can be this combination of open-ended because sometimes people are wanting that open-ended and other times the word school is just fine because you might want something that's quite disciplined. A child or an adult might want that if it's their choice, if it's their interest and their strength and they have some agency around it. 
Um, I'm just thinking of some of the different things that my kids have been involved in from, you know, sports that were uh, at times fairly rigorous and enjoying that structure and those rules and the, the team and that piece of it, but also not feeling locked in there forever. Right? Like that just has such a different feel to it. Um, because you'll, you'll challenge yourself in, in that way. If it's something that makes sense to you in that, that moment, um, you know, I'm thinking of a choir that my daughter was in that was very, uh, it, it was, in a, it was lovely. It was lovely and it was kind and it was wonderful. But you knew going in that there was a dress code, you know, for, for performance nights and you weren't to wear jewelry and you weren't like it was, <clears throat> and there were certain, there was an order to things, um, which she loved. She wouldn't have loved it all the time, but for that activity, she was quite interested in having that level of, of structure. So, yeah, I think it's not, it's not that we don't sometimes want to have something that's <clears throat> a little bit more or, or quite at times structured, but it's that idea of being trusted to choose when those make sense for us and when they don't. And for some people, they're drawn to lots of those things. And for others, um, they're not. And I can remember when my daughter started classical ballet and I looked at the just the rules around the hair being pulled back and the no earrings and the, you know, the length of this, and the length of that. And I was like, Oh, I don't know if this is for us. <laughs> I don't know if this is for us and it ended up being so for us. Like it was such a fantastic experience. And um, yeah, it, it, it was, it was great because it was chosen and um, it was one of many things that we were involved in. And so not everything in our life needed to be that rigorous, but it, it filled a need at a, at a particular time. So yeah, that just back to that trust in that, that choice. And then actually the, the observation about retired people is so interesting because I don't think I could have articulated it that way, but I think about that. And is it, is almost like, they've earned the right almost to pursue their interests. Like, is that how we look at it? I don't know. I, I feel like it is. It's kind of like, okay, you've gone through the steps for 65 years. <laughs> and if you're still healthy enough, cause that's the problem too, isn't it? You know, people go to school and work themselves to the bone and don't, you know, and, and then you don't know how healthy you're going to be um, at 60, 70, whatever. And so it's almost this idea of, okay, you've gone through the steps and now you've earned this right to pursue your own interests and learn new things <laughs> and kind of live the life that you maybe always wanted to live, travel where you might've been interested in. Um, so it's really kind of a shame when you think about it that way. Um, and I know there are just, obviously there are economic realities for people, but I think even if they're, even if we can open our minds about, um, what so there are certain jobs for example that actually make more money than others but they um certain ones carry a certain prestige that others don't like i don't know i think if we can just kind of loosen our grip on what success looks like uh on a whole bunch of levels it's it's just kind of interesting to think about that does that change the way we think about earlier learning you know i don't know I don't know. Yeah, and I don't uh, yeah. know that it's common. Well, that's not going to sound very nice. But I know well, for myself, 10 years ago, maybe when I was going through teacher's college, 
um, working at summer camps, working with lots of kids, I didn't have this knowledge around um, how we learn naturally. So I think if there's more awareness around children will learn through living, children will learn math through baking, children will learn just by doing things and being out in the community or being at home and being with mixed ages. If there's more awareness of that, then I think there'd be less of this uh, mind frame or mindset around children need school to learn, children need um, a teacher to learn. And I think because we don't rely on children to go work and get a, a job and um, start making money, childhood, like there is a little bit of freedom there. So if we can, yeah, like if people kind of, I wish I had learned earlier that um, children will just learn. As, I mean, I guess I knew that children would learn through doing whatever they were doing, but it was almost like, yeah, but you got to go to school to learn how to read. And most people do. And most children have to go to school to learn the basics of math. Um, it's not to say that children can't learn that way. Many do, but many don't, and many don't need that. So that we can loosen that grip a little bit more, I think, in childhood to let them um, learn in ways that make more sense to them and outside of the classroom. And I, during the whole conversation, um, I've been thinking about different uh, learning centers. Um, there's all the different examples, right, of different learning centers. They're definitely not... Um, like common or accessible where we live. Um, I think in the States uh, more so um, you hear different stories of like self-directed learning centers, agile learning centers, you know, I can't think of the names off the top of my head, but I think like that's it, right? Because I think about how, what those provide, it's still the choice. It's still the freedom, but it's still, um, older people like in facilitator roles to work as guides and mentors and to offer classes if people are interested so there's still those opportunities and everything there there's maybe a building so that there's there can be a sense of a, com a community because I think too that's the other reason I was thinking about the retirement population they lots of times I think form their own little communities right maybe at the community center or at a, a local cafe where they decide to meet Children, I think, need those spaces too. So a library is a, a good example of something like that. But if there were more places that were accessible, like different learning centers, I mean, that's where I would be trying to um, go and explore for my kids. And I think some work for some kids and some work better for other kids. Erin, I think you mentioned maybe in the email that you, because I was surprised, I think you said you had a little bit of experience. And I, I was only surprised because... Um, we don't live like that far from one another. And I know that there's there's not all these um, learning centers all over the place. So I was kind of curious about that. <laughs> uh, sure. Yeah, I know. I think if anything, what what we have, we have a lot of Montessori schools here, right? Like we have a lot of, I don't mm -hmm. know in your, mm -hmm. actually, but, we, but yeah, so we tapped into a couple, um, it, you know, and it's always hard. Of course, you're only seeing things through the experience of, you know, your particular situation, your particular child. So yeah, so my oldest, um, something that has been, that certainly not anymore, but was a struggle when he was younger was he was very extroverted and he did very well with, um, with having something to do with having, with having kids. It was, it was difficult to have kind of a slow pace to the day. I sort of, things worked better if I had a plan and we had kids to see, and that's really hard. And I'm an introverted person. <laughs> a couple of my younger kids are not as extroverted as him. So we did try to tap in a couple of times to 
um, to find some kind of independent centers. And so there were two different ones that we had to look at. And um, I agree with you, Ashley, in the sense that I think that having, having more choices around that, like having those opportunities is great because I do think that particularly for some kids, the idea of having a, a group of kids on a regular basis that they can socialize and hang around with can be really helpful. And unfortunately, it seems like the main way that we do that in our society is to attach that to school or summer camp. Um, and I don't think the kids have to be all the same age, but it's just that idea of having uh, kind of that social outlet. And in the end, we you know, we were able to build that with homeschool community and that, you know, we did have quite a few families around. And so in the end, we, we did have lots of opportunities for him, but in those earlier years, you're not quite sure. Right. So I'm thinking more when he was like four and five, um, we had tapped into some homeschool communities, but there's still, he was a little bit young for some of the stuff they were doing, but he was too old for like the um, resource centers were all kids that were two or three because people would put their kids into preschool or whatever after that. So I did look into a couple. Um, so I went to the, uh, it, it was a model for us. It was a Sudbury model. And um, in the end, I don't think, I think that school didn't end up continuing. I think they sort of divided into some different groups, but initially it was, I mean, there was a physical location and, and they had an open house and we went Um and there were some things about it that I liked. I mean, I did like the fact that, um, you know, yeah, there was this common group of kids that you would get to know. And, and that was really neat. And there was, it was very democratically run. So there were lot, there was lots of choice. What was interesting to me though, um, when I tried to talk to a couple of the people, so a couple of them would have been parents and a couple would have been facilitators with, within the school. And I said, oh, we're homeschooling right now because we've been homeschooling maybe a year or two. And they were very, I, I thought I was going to get quite a positive response and I really didn't. And so that was interesting to me. And I mean, it doesn't matter. They are, they have a right to their opinion. And I certainly don't want to generalize because this could just have been this particular night, but there was a strong feeling that um, homeschooling could not provide the kids needed to be, yes, they needed a democratic environment, but it needed to be outside of the family. They, they demonstrated sort of their, their meetings and their democratic meetings. And it, it just made me realize that as much as I thought this was a really great space, and I think particularly if you have parents who either are both choosing to work or need to work, this is great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but for me, having found a way to, for my husband or I to be home with the kids, I thought, well, there's still something a little bit artificial about it for me. I still think it's a great opportunity, but if I had to choose between that and learning to be democratic and collaborative with people, either within the family or just within the community, I thought, I still think, I still think that between our family and homeschool groups and sports, I still think that that's happening more naturally than it is in a, a location if that makes sense. And, and, and the, the second school uh, was not a Sudbury model, but it was a very, um, it was beautiful. It was a beautiful little spot in the country. And it, it was a kindergarten teacher who, who taught for years in the public school system and decided she wanted something more open, more just 
creative and it was it was beautiful and we did try that for kind of on and off for a couple weeks and it was there was really good things about it but in the end um there were a lot of sensory pieces that we were working through in the morning at home and so managing those mornings was hard and it was hard with a newborn baby and other toddlers and whatever and it was interesting the last day that we gave it a try (laughs) I remember he was not wanting to go in and they couldn't understand it because he had such a good time while he was there. And there was this sort of conversation. And I remember um, the teacher just saying with just a real sense of frustration, um, you need to come in. This is what children do during the day. They go to school. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, there it is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and again, you were kind of talking about the forest school, Ashley, around who are they marketing to? And so they were lovely people. I do have to say that. And they were marketing, they were marketing to families who wanted an alternative, but at this, at some point it was alternative education. It, it, it wasn't, it wasn't family-based education. Right. So, um, you know, I don't regret looking into those two things, but it really solidified that for me, I still think that family and natural community for us are probably the the best teachers of real life. Right. And we're going to offer us, we weren't going to have that pressure of it's cool when you get there, but you have to get there, you know? So, yeah. So that was my little, very brief. (laughs) So you just, a few times when you were speaking there, Erin, you just made me think of, I had a friend who, who um, used to to own a nursery and um, I remember her talking about the fact that when when she ran her nursery, it was very much um, a very different type style of organisation to the way that nurseries are organised at the moment. Very much, they had families. That's what they called them. They were they were families, and they'd have a nursery worker, and then they would have a group of children that were all different ages. So they'd have you know maybe a baby, and then a couple of toddlers, and then they would have the the sort of preschool the older children that were in the nursery. And so the children would be divided up into these families. They wouldn't be, they wouldn't have a baby room and they, and they wouldn't have, you know, all the three-year-olds or whatever together. It was very much. And I know that, that even last week, I, I, I heard one of the homeschool parents saying, we were at a park meet. Oh, I just love how all the different ages interact together that's just one of and that's one of the things that I think so many home educating parents say and children that it's just so lovely that they get to play with people of different ages and their friends of different ages and at the forest school actually I think um they do go up to 16 I think it's five to 16 you can go I think at the moment they've only they've got the eldest I think is 12 so they but and there is a four or a five year old so there is a nice spread of ages um and I think they've also had a couple of older teens come and do a bit of work experience with them, which is, you know, nice as well. They've got that um, element to it. And I think that is just such a, a beautiful thing, isn't it? Having all those different ages together. And I think my friend was saying about how it was lovely because the older children just naturally helped the littler children and they learned so much from each other um which she she just felt very sad about the fact that that then she knew of nurseries now and and she just thought this whole idea of a baby room just doesn't make sense to me it just seems so that whole you know so there is 
there are ways, aren't there, of making even, you know, alternative education spaces more family informed or, you know, kind of making them more of a family type focus. And I just think that that's what we need as a society, I think, isn't it? It's just to have it's, it's I don't know, more. Yeah, it just seems such a strange thing in school, doesn't it, to have all, all the people of a certain age to be together I think my my daughter when she was at school she had um two two different years I think where she was in a, a mixed age class where they just you know say so they had you know two two classes of year twos and two classes of year threes and then a few left over so they needed to do a year two and year three together they did that and I remember she she those years were some of her happiest years at school I think because it just you know that she found friends that happened to be they weren't you know a great deal different in age but it, it just there was that more there was just something different about the philosophy in the classroom because I guess the teachers were thinking about the fact that they were different ages and how are we going to manage this in a slightly different way to how they would have ordinarily it just seemed so much nicer I know it doesn't work for everyone but but it you know it seemed to work for her at the time not a lot. It, it was a, a small amount. And I think if families couldn't afford it, they didn't have to pay. And it was, it was quite cooperatively run. And so you would have, um, certainly it was below kindergarten for the most part, but sometimes people would bring, they were free to bring their older kids in. And then we had something happen in our province where everything got very, they became free, which was I guess, lovely in some ways, but they became quite regimented. And so I could no longer take my um, four-year-old in if there was a two-year-old class or it would be zero to 18 months so you couldn't take your five-year-old with you it became very regimented and so I've been thinking in our area we have this sort of and I, I don't think it's distinct just specific just to us there's this trend almost of on the one hand you have homeschooling um, just multiplying right like you have it increasing and increasing and increasing and then on the other hand you have things heightening and becoming more standardized so even those um centers they were called ontario early they're still called i think ontario earlier centers they originally were in independent locations and over a few years they all got most of them got moved into schools so you had your school and then you had your earlier center attached to the school and then by the time my son would have been coming to school age in our province, they had added or like we'd had a part-time junior kindergarten option and then it became full day every day. So the kids were in full-time school at three and a half or four, whereas prior they would have been five and a half or six, both JK and SK junior and senior kindergarten were, were part-time and they made them both full-time. So it was just really interesting how on the one hand you have society opening up into more and more homeschooling. And on the other hand, you have this um, let's add more and more school. Like let's, let's get them in earlier. Let's put, you know, let's standardize things more. Um, so it's, it's very interesting. It feels like these two kind of um, polarizing directions. And I think even just to relate it a little back, bit back to even like the library, aside from what's available for that's specific in the children's library, I've noticed our libraries have, like one of them has opened a maker space that's actually great for adults. It's like 
really kind of higher level crafting and woodworking and, and electronics and that kind of thing. And another has a, um, two of them actually have beautiful his- historical rooms. So local history, and it's just full of old newspaper clippings and really, really cool. So it's like, on the one hand, we're opening learning up and creating these hubs. But for kids, we're, if they're in the system, it's getting tighter. And I can only speak for our province, but. um. Yeah, I definitely, I've noticed that as well, Erin, in terms of we have, we're lucky around here as well, that we have a couple of schools that will allow children to flexi school. So they don't have to go, you know, full time. Um, And that's, um, something that's been going on around here for you know the, all the time that we've been home edding but it's from what I've heard from other families is it seems to have become a lot harder um, you you kind of have to do what they tell you now in terms of you know you have to go Tuesday and Wednesday you can't just in the past I think there was more discussion with the teacher about oh we tend to do you know, I don't know, naturey things on a Thursday or we do PE on a Friday or whatever. And and then the kids and the family would kind of choose, oh, well, you know, he'd really like to do PE. Can we come in on that day? And that used to happen a lot more. Whereas I think now because there's kind of so many targets and rules about attendance, it just I think it's really sad for the schools, isn't it, in terms of they just have so much less flexibility. It's not really about or at least it feels like it's not really about meeting children's needs, is it? It's about meeting targets. And I don't think teachers want to do that, but they're, they're in this system that is driving them this way, isn't it? And it's just so sad because if we really cared about meeting children's needs and we really cared about their education, then things like you taking your child out for a day at the museum or, or to go and watch, I don't know, a sporting event or to go on holiday to Egypt and look at the pyramids, you know, you'd think, okay, great, that's so educational. Yay, go. <laughs> Whereas that's just not the culture, is it now? The culture is you, you can't take your child, you know, we're going to find you if you take your child out of school. And it, it, yeah, it just seems so sad. Again, it comes back to that idea that, that, children have to be in school to learn. If they're not in school learning, they're at risk, right? That idea that, and I find people don't question it. Um, So when speaking about JKSK, Erin, I didn't feel, and my background's teaching, so I was pretty aware of the kindergarten program at the time. And I could just, I just felt that I was going to be home anyway. And my oldest I was like, I don't think he's ready for this. And I don't think he needs this yet. But everybody, everyone we knew was sending their kid of that age to JK. So my guy was three, three, when just for a couple of weeks, he would have turned four early on in JK, but still so little. And I just as a parent felt, oh, this doesn't feel right to me. And everyone was like, oh, I know it's hard to let go. And you kind of have those conversations, right? And Mm. I just said, you know what? I'm not sending him full-time. I'm like, I'll send him, I guess. But I'm sending him part-time. And people right away, well, you can do that? No, like kindergarten's full-time. Like you've got to send him full-time. And I just remember thinking school isn't mandatory. Yeah, like school, some form of school isn't mandatory here at this age. So why can't I send him part time? And I forget exactly how I set it up, but I went to the kindergarten teacher. I don't think I emailed the principal. And I just said, 
I'm going to send them part time. And I tried to be very aware, like I didn't want to make it inconvenient to them. So I think I set something up where I let them know which days he would be there and which days he wouldn't be. But I just went in with that mentality. And I probably got lucky that the teachers were open to that and um, maybe thought, you know, some benefits to that as well. And, and, you know, it was in his best interest and that as his parent, I would know how much was too much for him. Um, but it was just very interesting to me because everyone, I mean, I didn't know anyone, I didn't come across anyone else who was doing something like that. They just thought like kindergarten's full-time, so off they go full-time or, or, you know, some people obviously would have chose to just homeschool and not maybe just didn't do kindergarten at all. But it was interesting to me because I think that was the first time where I, I realized that nobody's questioning this. Like no, everyone's just like, this is what everybody does. So yes, it's hard, but this is what you're supposed to do. And um, the other thing I wanted to quickly mention was we had a really nice, see, I don't know which way this is going to go because I agree, Aaron, things are getting more and more, I don't know, like tighter. And, but then at the same time, I noticed in like the preschool we had here where my guys attended part-time, especially my oldest, I loved it. It was very child-led and gentle and nurturing and I'm very, you don't want to do circle time. That's okay. Right. Like not shaming. And I really liked it. And I remember, and then kindergarten, which was play-based, but I was like, it didn't work. It was very diff, two different environments. And, um, I do see like on social media and whatnot that there does, I don't know if it's a movement. I don't know if I'm just seeing it because I'm following these people, but there does seem to be at least in the preschool years in both Canada and the States, maybe the UK, I'm trying to think of who I follow and where they are right now. There does seem to be like those play advocates, like people talking about the value and importance, at least in the early years, in those preschool years of play and um, more of that, those types of environments. But yet at the preschool that we had here or have here, and it's cooperative too, um, they still did offer, um, I forget what they called it, but like a, the second year, like that you were there. So the year before you would go to kindergarten, um, they had like a, a get ready for kindergarten opportunity that you could pass on, but it was there. And I thought, well, that, like, that's interesting. Um, so I don't know which way it's going to go. And it makes me think, I don't know if you, you, you might be familiar with teacher Tom. Um, yeah. He's in the States. So preschool. Yeah. yeah. I just, we need someone like that for all ages. Just <laughs> yeah. so respectful. And there's other people, but teacher Tom came to mind yeah. when you guys were talking because he's just so, just seems to get that children are people <laughs> yeah. and we can trust them. And, but again, he, um, yeah, he focuses on the preschool years, which is great, but it, that shouldn't, that respect and those opportunities and, and ways of having your environment set up, I don't think should disappear when you're four or five years old. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and Oh my gosh. Yes to all of that, Ashley. And, and it makes me think, it reminds me of a very frustrating um, experience I had at the, the other end. So when, as my guys got older um, and my second guy, uh, so he was really interested in, um, you know, out, outdoor opportunities and conservation work and that kind of thing. And I connected with our local conservation authority and they, they're kind of responsible for lots of different um sites and I had what I thought was a really good uh 
actually kind of series of conversations with the person who was heading it up. And um, they connected me with the like fish and wildlife person. And what we were looking at was just kind of a one day a week mentorship where essentially um, he would be volunteering his time. I mean, he was, I don't know, 15 or 16 at this point. So he could have, he would definitely have added a body to the work they were doing. Um, really just working alongside them. Like that was kind of what we were, were thinking of. And initially they thought that that was a great idea and passed me on to the right person. And so I was, we were just kind of scheduling days. Like we were all set to go. And I can't remember um, what happened. I think that was kind of like the end of the one school year somehow. Um, And I connected with them in the summer and they said, well, we'll, we'll have to wait to get it set up until, September for insurance purposes, blah, blah, blah. So I thought, okay, we'll, we'll do that. Um, anyway, in September, uh, I went to reconnect with them and they, they said to me, um, yes, well, he'll have to register or, or apply basically. And my, it felt like, and I, I think this is what happened. They sort of took the idea that we'd been working on. And what they did is they proposed it almost like a grade 11 co-op type <laughs> opportunity tools. And so he was going to have to apply um, as a grade 11 student. I said to her, oh my goodness, but we're homeschooling. <laughs> this wasn't supposed to be all that. that. This was just him mentoring, you know, with an environmental organization. And she said, yeah, he just has to apply through his grade 11 program. And I thought, oh my gosh, like, how did this get, <clears throat> excuse me, how does this get switched from the way that people have always learned? right which is being mentored and and having these things modeled and being part of things to an official uh school program so i suspect it was around liability probably i suspect that was part of it but i also think that they actually thought it was kind of a cool idea and ended up kind of connecting with with the the school board about it but i was really quite quite frustrated about that. So we didn't end up taking advantage of it because there were too many hoops to jump through. Um, And I thought, well, you know what, we can probably find some existing volunteer opportunities where, you know, he can get similar types of, of opportunities with things he's interested in. And, you know, that kind of makes me think, Ashley, you had kind of reiterated that idea of like, where, where do we see this just sort of natural living and learning already happening? and I'm thinking about the program that my, and I use the word program loosely, but the initiative, I guess, that my daughter's volunteering with right now, which is around an endangered bird species. And it's so interesting because she would be the only one, you know, below 20 who's doing it because nobody else has time to do that. You know, kids are in school. Well, homeschool kids would, but um but yeah, so she can see the behavior of these birds at a range of times of the day. Um, and it's such a neat natural learning opportunity. They, and there were, no, there were no issues with getting into that. That's fine. And so I do think that there, there are these, you know, when places are calling for volunteers, those are probably easier to get into than what I did initially with my son as far as trying to set up a specific um, yeah, a specific opportunity, but yeah, it was really frustrating <laughs> just to see them kind of schoolify what could have just been a really natural um, opportunity. 
The other thing, and I know I'm so conscious of the time. Oh my gosh, we just get chatting and chatting. <clears throat> the other thing that I just wanted to say was how this hits me every time we go camping is I feel like we're in this campground of people who are unschooling. And so you've got seniors and you have babies and everybody's kind of enjoying themselves and learning as they go and figuring out how to set up a new equipment and cooking and learning about you know all the different birds and all the different things that are happening and everybody seems to be in such a good mood I mean even after a rainstorm (laughs) people are waking up wet there's just this like because let's be clear camping is leisure but it's also work like there's a lot of packing and unpacking and dirtiness and all that kind of stuff but people are in a good mood and I always just feel that it's this environment of people living really naturally and being, they just have such goodwill toward each other. Like where else in the world do you camp, you know, a few meters away from somebody zip up your tent. When you think about all the locking of doors that we do (laughs) and you're in this, you know, you're there with all these strangers and you don't think twice about it. Like it's people leave, you know, maybe not everything on their site if they go bike riding or whatever, but there's this whole other energy about it. And I don't know, whenever we do that, I I think of that as an example of, um, yeah, just so much natural living and learning that happens. So you're making me want to go camping. (laughs) (laughs) Except for the rain part, right? (laughs) Well, and my guys are eight and six. So um, we just see how the challenges (laughs) that it could be. Um, you know, we always think, well, maybe next year, maybe the year after that. But I think that's so true. And I'll just quickly, I don't want to go on and on, but I wanted to quickly say, I mean it, you're making me want to go camping because I think about how my two guys at eight and six year old, six years old, both of them, but especially the eight year old, would just love that part of everybody being together, everybody being outside, free to kind of like, let's go for a bike ride. Let's go do this. Let's go down by the water. Let's go for a walk. But also having those jobs to do because I find right? Like that, and jobs that matter, not a chore that, well, we can put that off and do it tomorrow. It doesn't actually matter right this moment, but when you're camping, I don't know, cause we don't camp, but you have to go get wood for the campfire or you have to help pack up or whatever it is you do. <laughs> um, jobs that actually matter in the moment and jobs that kids can help with. And they see that, you know, they're doing things that are important and that they see other older people doing as well. And I just think how, I've been thinking about that more with, with my guys and how they get a little bit bored or they watch more TV during the day. And I think it's because they're bored. And I think how I need to um, offer opportunities where they feel like there's more of a purpose. I don't know if I'm making any sense, but, and chores come to mind, but I'm just, well, that's so arbitrary, right? Like they'll know whether it matters or not in the moment, but camping it just, when you're talking about that, I think like, well, you would have a purpose, right? Like if you asked it, it would be because it would actually really help the whole group. Um, so yeah, I could see that maybe we'll try it next year. <laughs> I could see them loving it. Yeah. Well, and that's such a good point, Ashley, because I think that that kind of makes a bit of a distinction between, um, so just having all these different places and community that offer kids centered activities which is great too it's nice to have art lessons and chess and all those kinds of things but um that we don't need to be so heavy on curating these things to replace school 
if, if we're just more open to looking at all those, like, as I was talking about, maybe like the volunteer opportunities Mm -hmm. or yeah, like there's actually so much that does naturally need to be done in the world (laughs) that we don't always need to be setting up these various curated activities Mm -hmm. with their fun too. Like they're Mm -hmm. very fun. I'm not not suggesting we don't do those, but it's just interesting to think what that would look like if there was a mix of things. Um, Yeah. And the other thing that I think one of the reasons I've always thought about this is the idea around accessibility, because I know that, um, I mean, we like to say, oh, anybody can homeschool, you know, but not everybody can. There's just some realities. There's some financial realities. There's some logistics sometimes that just don't work for people. So that's the other thing that's always been interesting to me is if we were to take, and I know it's way more complicated than this. So this is just my little you know, happy space of, you know, how could this, you know, imagining basically. Um, But if we took like even just a portion of the funding that goes into the school system and, you know, broadened the sports centers and the art galleries and the libraries so that you're not taking money out of, um, out of public learning and education, but you're not enclosing it into this one building Mm -hmm. that, just feel we need to keep pouring money into I think it it would be interesting um if as more kids are out of school like as as more more families may continue to choose to home educate um does that naturally lead at some point to a broadening of funding for some of these other spaces and I know that's actually a, a tricky topic in some places right now around school funding right because um more families choosing to homeschool is is tricky for schools as far as funding. So that's a that's a whole other conversation. But I just play with that stuff in my head. It's like if a family doesn't feel that school's working for them, um, yeah, like like I just love the idea of there being other accessible options for them that you don't have to be of a certain socioeconomic place to be able to afford to go to museums or whatever have memberships those kinds of things so Hmm. I think that's what we need isn't it we need that diversity of options don't we so that because somebody does have to look after the children you know that you know children need to be looked after by somebody don't they and and that whole thing about um yeah the privilege that some of us have to be able to home educate and other people don't it's just such a shame that there seems to be just one option doesn't there that your kids have to go to that school environment that might not actually be meeting their needs in the in the best way and yet there are so many ways that we could make it better for children it's just yeah it's such a shame and I hope you're right Erin that we do at some point (laughs) Yeah, there is more funding poured into some of those things because it, it it would make life so much better for all of us, wouldn't it? Because that whole business of being able to pursue what you love, I think that just made me think as well of your uh, your point, Ashley, about changing our perception of children and how we view children. It's not we don't need to make children do things. Children naturally want to do people naturally want to do things, don't they? And people want to matter and be useful. And people are driven by that, aren't they? They're driven by, you know, we are sociable beings and we want to help other people, you know, naturally if it's not kind of 
driven out of us by the fact that we're so frustrated or tired or angry or whatever else. But, you know, when those things get in the way of those natural tendencies that we have as as humans. Yeah. And, you know, that that kind of makes me think, too, of a few people that I know who, uh, you know, maybe both parents needed to work, chose to work, whatever, but they had made arrangements so that a grandparent was with the child during the day or a caregiver. In fact, I had that situation myself. I was uh, working part-time and a friend was, and we would, we would swap each other off a couple days a week so that I, you know, I'd have her kids Thursdays and she would have mine Tuesdays. And um, that worked quite well. And I knew people who had their sort of their, their caregiver or their, their nanny um, who would be at field trips or museums or whatever. And so I think that if we take away that idea that it takes a specialized person (laughs) to go to a museum with a child or choose the library books or spend some time learning, um, that could go a long way as well. It doesn't, uh, yeah, I think if it's normalized a little bit, then the grandparent doesn't have to feel like, oh, I, you know, I'd like to help with my grandchildren, but I really don't feel comfortable at the homeschool group or I don't feel comfortable you know, just kind of broadening that idea of um, how children learn and who needs to be the specific person, right? Mm-hmm. Could, might be interesting and broaden that a bit. So, well, anything else that we've, <laughs> that we've missed that's coming to mind or no? No, yeah. I can't think of anything at the moment. No. Oh, <clears throat> good. We've exhausted lots of thoughts here today. <laughs> okay well thank you it was really fun to chat again um and just kind of hear all the different ideas so have a good rest of your evening thanks Erin chat again soon bye all right bye and this ends our conversation today we hope you found it interesting and maybe helpful if you'd like to connect further or see additional content, Haley can be found on the web and on Instagram at Taking a Kinder Path. Erin can be found at Everlearning. And I, Ashley, can be found on Instagram at Ashley as Mama and at Storytime Shelves. We'd be very grateful if you'd share this conversation with anyone you think might appreciate it. Thank you for your time today.